0: Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, we don't have a, a discussion happening this week because we have two interviews for you this week. The first is with Mike Shinging, who's uh, one of the people behind the organisation of Shore Leave, which is um, perhaps one of the oldest conventions, one of the oldest sci-fi conventions uh, currently running um, on the East Coast in America. Um, It's held every year in Baltimore, Maryland, and um, Mike's going to be talking us through um, how how the convention started, and um, he also talks about some of the fun experiences that he's had while while, um, while, while being involved um, with the organisation, as well as um, about some of the guests that they have coming up this year, which include, amongst uh, many others, uh, John Barrowman, best known for Doctor Who, Torchwood and Arrow, and of course uh, Jamie Murray and Tony Current from the uh, hit sci-fi show *Defiance*, so um, it's it's worth worth going along. It's worth the price of admission just to just for those guests, um, I'd say. But they have all sorts of other guests there as well, uh, and and um, you know as you get from from the interview with Mike, um, it's a fun event. Um, the second interview we have is with Faustino De Bauda, um, who is um, better known as Sleepy in the uh, hit ABC series *Once Upon a* time um now now Faustino's got, got a lot of interesting stuff to say uh, most of all it's really interesting and it's actually a fun story um in regards to how he got into acting and um the incredible journey that he's been on um to eventually wind up um on a network television series um so we have that coming up in in the next uh, next hour um as well but first, we're going to head straight on to uh, Baltimore and uh, talk to uh, Mike Shinging about um, about the Baltimore Convention, which is called Shang Eve. So we're just going to beam on up to Baltimore. I'd like to welcome um, Mike Shinning to the show. Um, he's uh, one of the event organisers for Eve, um the convention which is held, is it in Maryland? Yes,
1: Baltimore, Maryland.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, first off, could you give us a bit of a potted history about how, how the convention came along? Because it's quite unusual isn't, in that it's one of the few conventions still around that's actually run by fans for fans.
1: Well, I wasn't there, to be perfectly honest, in the very beginning. However, I do know quite a few people with the organization that, that puts the convention together, Star Trek Association of Towson, who do go back to the very beginning. And from what I've always been told, uh, in the late 1970s, uh, there was an organization, like I said, the Star Trek Association of Towson, uh, a small group, maybe two or three dozen, perhaps, of, of fairly young science fiction enthusiasts of... Uh, from what I've come to understand, the vast majority were in the uh, high school and college age range, okay? And they saw how there were um, very large Star Trek conventions uh, taking place, you know, to you know, to great success since the early 1970s, primarily up in New York. They came to be known as the community conventions up in New York, where hundreds were expected, many thousands would show up. They would claw up these massive hotels in the heart of Manhattan. And bit by bit, these conventions started spreading all around uh, the United States, basically starting at the East Coast and working their way south and west. I think the first one in Washington, D.C. might have been somewhere around 1976, something like that. Anyway, so a bunch of these folks from the original club got together and decided, and I don't know whose original idea it was, but decided one day to, to take a chance and said, let's, let's rent some space, okay, for one day, and we're going to get as many of our friends together as we can. We're going to see if we can get some dealers to come. So we can, you know, exchange memorabilia. We can schedule discussions about what we love about Star Trek. Uh, some folks can get 16 millimeter classic Star Trek episodes and run it, you know, in a, in a big auditorium. Okay? And perhaps we can get a couple of Star Trek writers who, you know, write Star Trek stories and magazines. We can get them to come. We can get slides from Star Trek, and we can show them on a screen, and let's see how many we get. So that was the first shore leave, uh in, in mid-July of 1979. This took place on the third floor of what's called the University Union Building, and what is now called Towson Uni- University, it's now called, it was Towson State University then. Okay. Now, as great as that leap of faith was, it's even greater, at least in my opinion, because instead of making this a one-time thing, very, you know, within the next year, they said, hmm, people really like this. Let's see if we can make this an annual event. Only this mm-hmm. time, let's see if we can pull all our resources, or probably most likely, their parents' resources, considering their age at the time. Let's pull all the money we've got. Let's find a reasonable hotel in the area. Okay, and rent out this hotel for a course of an entire weekend and let's see uh, what guests we can bring in and we'll have three full days of programming. That became Shore Leave 2. Wow. And we went to the what was then called the Marriott Hunt Valley Inn for Shore Leave 2, which is on the north side of Baltimore and very proud to say that with the exception of two years, that first one and Shore Leave 8, the Hunt Valley Inn has always been our home. It's like a second home to, you know, because we know that hotel so very well. It's changed owners down through the years, and it's certainly changed its look down through the years, but that's where we've always been, and not to toot our own horn, as they say, but we must have done something right, because here we are this August celebrating our 37th annual convention at the Hunt Valley Inn, and... People must like it because whereas, you know, the graying of fandom, folks get older and they don't want to do it anymore, and and fandom changes and not as participatory as they used to be, and some very well-known long-standing conventions have folded up shop down through the years, yet surely it goes on. So somehow we've managed to weather the storm of changing times and changing economies, and we are still here. I know that was a rather long-winded answer, but (laughs) there you go.
0: Well, you know, it's, a, it's quite a long story, 37 years, you know? you know. So I think you did well to actually uh, you know, keep your answer within, within that time frame, considering how long the event's been going.
1: Well, it's a lot of history there, and a lot of wonderful memories have been made. A lot of very dear friends have been made. Of all the things that I've done uh, for, for Shore Leave and all the Shore Leaves I've experienced, my most joyous thing, I think, is the satisfaction I get from doing my own small part trying to make uh, surely the most wonderful experience it can possibly be and also the the memories of having met so many wonderful people in fandom down through the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah there are many wonderful parts of it but as you become very experienced at doing conventions this becomes more and more important to you. The relationships you form with people and you know the fact that you know this is a, a tradition in the fandom community that means so much to so many people, where it is not uncommon at all where people will literally schedule their vacations around when Shore League is going to be because they just wouldn't miss it. So this is a source of great pride to us. That's why we work as hard as we do because it's important for the folks out there on your site to understand that we're not a professional organization. We are all purely volunteers. We don't make a single dime off anything that we do, okay? We, we just do it because we, we love the convention, you know, we love fandom in general, you know, and all the wonderful things that it's meant to us. That's why we work so hard, and it takes us pretty much the bulk of an entire year to to do this, you know, and to have just uh, as fun a three-day span as we possibly can create.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually involved in, in, in one a number of years back. Uh, I'll say loosely involved, but I went to about three or four of them, and they did about 12. And it was um it was an event here in the UK, it was run by fans, it was run out of universe. it was run out of a un out of uh, you know, the dreams of a few university students who were fans of a uh, cult television, you know, science fiction, fantasy, police dramas, procedurals, but sort of like that that sort of had a cult sensibility to them, you know, maybe a bit of a sci fi twist and it was called cult TV and, and sadly that folded. And one of the reasons it folded was because I think the main reason it folded is they moved it every single year. They they didn't really have a set location as a home. Um and an- another reason I think it probably folded is they they seemed to have trouble getting getting the guests from overseas, you know, the 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 US guests and um, and stuff like that. And it was a um, and it was run by, you know, it was run by this one, per- this one person. So like, he, he mortgaged his house, remortgaged his house every year to pay for the event to cover it. You know, and that, that's how committed he was. And um, it's a shame that he went because it was actually a really good event. Good event. It had a lot of uh, had a lot of fan streams on. I mean, for example, one year they had Big Finish come in. The uh, the people that made the Doctor Who audios they had Big Finish come in, and they did um, of so like a workshop. On how the audios are done, and they, they had they had fans, you know, participating, taking taking the various roles, and and doing this workshop, and and they had all sorts of things, and had sci fi discussions and, and and stuff like that. But unfortunately, it, it just folded. It it wasn't it just uh, I think it just became got to a point where the guy that ran it, um, he he was having problems making it work. You know, as in, it wasn't really making its money money back. Um, well, such
1: events like that are, are can be very unwieldy there there's a million little categories of expenditures and everything, and of course the economy, what people can afford to come in if there are enough folks with the interest to come to keep it viable um, expenses involved if you are at a place where you have to spend a tremendous amount of money and travel expenses for your guests and everything it can it can really weigh you down you always have to walk that fine line, and it isn't an easy thing. Not everybody can can do it. You know, there are always guests that you would prefer to have, but you know either they <laughs> you just can't afford them or it's a matter of the, the travel, you know, is too prohibitive. So you're right. It is, I'm only privy to certain sections of how a convention operates. I'm mainly just a publicity guy, to be honest. I used to be on the video team, but, but basically I am very aware of you know, all these different departments all have to pull together to pull something like this off and believe me we're very aware of how fortunate we've been and surely to be able to to last as long as we have
0: mm-hmm. Well, you know um, and, you know like I said I, I had a bit of a footing in, 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 um, in doing that cause I used to try, try and help them out with publicity. Um, I actually uh, did an interview with uh, George TK for their program uh, one year you know for the, okay. for the event program. And, um, you know, I, I, so like, I tried to pimp them a little bit on the website as well. Um, but it was just so like, um, unfortunately it folded and it was a really sad day when it folded because the only events we have now in the UK, they're all run by corporations. They're all run, you know, they're all run by Connectomania and, and people like that. So, you know. There's... Well, that's,
1: that's a whole other thing. Like I say, it's, <clears throat> I, I don't mean to bad mouth any of our, um, colleagues in the convention business and everything, let's just say it's different. Over here in the United States, you you have Creation and other organizations like that, and they put on these, these huge, huge shows with these amazing rosters of guests, and have nothing but the greatest respect and admiration for what they do. But we're a little bit different. We don't have that kind of budget, we don't have that kind of outreach, so we have to make do as best we can with what we have, okay? We don't have those kind of resources. So we have to find a way to, to survive in that kind of environment when other such organizations can put on these, these massive shows. And what we try to do at surely, and I know this is an old hackneyed expression it has been used a million times, we try to give people the best of both worlds. You see, our hotel, the Hunt Valley Inn, is only really designed due to fire regulations to take about 1,500 people at a time into the convention, okay, for safety reasons, okay? And so unlike other conventions where there might be 10, 20, 30,000 people there, okay, we'll we'll have maybe a few thousand at a time. So yes, you have enough of a crowd where you can have a a buzz, you can feel an energy of all the people and the, the excitement and everything. But on the other hand, you don't have a crowd that's so massive where you lose the human element of it. There are a few things more satisfying to me at a convention than being able to just simply speak to a guest star for, even you know, if it's just for a few moments. You know, you're not pushed through a line or anything. Here, sign it, move along to the next person. You can actually. Make eye contact with that person and shake their hand or something, especially if the line is slow at the time. It's mm-hmm. all in the timing, right? You can, you can do that. Or you're talk, you meet up with a uh, friend that you haven't seen in a long time. You find a quiet spot and you talk with them. You sit down in a lounge and all that. So yes, you've got a crowd, but you also don't have so much of a crowd that it becomes like a cattle call. And we also, with what we have, we try to emphasize the amount of choices that ShoreLeave has. Especially on Convention Saturday, we might have, I would estimate, 12, 13, or even 14 tracks of programming going simultaneously. So I like to tell folks who are new to conventions who've never tried one before, especially a fan-run convention, I say, if you can't find something that you're going to like, by going there there must be something wrong with you mm-hmm. because we give people lots of choices you know some folks just like to pursue the guest stars they spend their whole weekend in autograph lines and sitting in on their talks other people like gaming they 'll spend literally they won 't go to sleep they 'll stay in the gaming room, especially the younger folks they stay in the gaming all weekend long and we 're running videos and we 're having panel discussions and The art show is going on and and there might be you know there 's the big uh, costume contest we call masquerade and there there are parties and and, and workshops and everything and', and just one tr- you know there's children 's programming and teen programming And, and uh, a science track for all the, you know, people who are much more interested in the science fact than science fiction. All these things are happening simultaneously. So I know everybody says this, but we try to offer a little something to, to everybody to make it worth their time and their money. Mm-hmm.
0: It sounds like, sounds like a, a lot of fun to me, you know. Because, uh, like I said, when I first started going to this convention years and years ago, I'd, uh, the first year, I probably just went after all the guests. The second year, I started getting involved with some of the other tracks and stuff like that, some of the other things that were going on, and um, I, I found that the you know it, it was it was just really good to sort of like try, try and do a little bit of everything. After a while,
1: that's right. What I tell folks, especially who are fairly new to Shore and everything, as I try to make myself like an unofficial ambassador of Goodwill, I tell folks find yourself a quiet spot. Get the program book and the pocket program and just start circling everything you're going to like during the course of the weekend. And you're going to find yourself wishing that you could split yourself into three or four people because you're going to say, oh, that and that are at the same time. What am I going to do? So you're going to find there are very few gaps in the weekend where there's nothing going on. (laughs) So you just circle and that way you plan out your entire weekend, you know? So that's, that's part of the fun, you know. Everybody likes a little something different. And the fact that, you know, we, you know, we can be varied in that way is something that uh, we're very proud of. It took a lot of time and a lot of hard work by many different people to offer that level of programming and everything.
0: What sort of feedback have you had from the various guests that you've had over the year? You know, because um, I remember when we did cult cool TV, some of the guests actually got involved with some of the different tracks that we were doing. Did, did, does that happen for you guys?
1: In certain rare cases, you see the folks who are over in the uh, guest relations department, uh, the ones who actually book the uh, guests and are, you know, direct contact with their representatives and managers and such, they're the ones who uh, are the first line as far as getting comments directly from our guest stars and everything. Although I have seen and heard uh, myself personally some years ago, uh, we had a classic uh, Star Trek guest. Um, His name was Malachi Throne. He was in the Menagerie. And um, uh, he was—he uh, sadly passed away just recently. But this was maybe I don't know six, seven, eight years ago. And we were having a after party after the convention had wrapped up, and the totally unexpected, uh, Mr. Throne walked into our um, our con suite as it's called, and basically uh, spoke to us for a moment and told us, you know, what a wonderful time he had had and how well organized it was, and it was uh, a tremendous thrill for all of us to hear such kind words and just last year uh, Robert Picardo who has been kind enough to be our guest at least twice at Shorely, one of the most erudite and and, you know quick-witted guests I've ever seen in all my years of going to conventions and he um, there are always um, charities going on at at Shorely, and basically one of the charities that was collecting money and Robert Picardo is also heavily involved in a, um, a charity as well and we had decided to uh, turn over uh, a lot of the raised money over uh, to Robert Picardo's charity. And I can remember seeing him on stage, just kind of struggling for words. I think he said something like, "You know, it's not often that I'm at a loss for words," which is a very Robert Picardo thing to say, because um, he's always quick with a quip. So that also made me feel good. So although I, you know, I don't hear everything from everybody. Um, you know, the vast majority has been tremendously positive. I've heard many stories down through the years where if it's a show uh, that's currently running and that actor will, will go back to his or her colleagues on the set at the convention's over and literally tell them, you know, if you have a chill voice, this is the convention to go to where you meet the nicest people. You know, I've heard many stories like this down mm-hmm. through the years. So you know, it's it's important. Word of mouth and, and reputation in and the fandom community and, and everything. It's something we've spent a long time building up. It's something that's very important. to
0: it. Yeah, Do you do you have any uh, funny stories from from the event? Maybe, maybe some like, fun, fun, you know fun things that actually happened.
1: Hmm. Well, let's see. Um, well, I've, I've been going to Shirley for almost thirty years now. It's, it's so hard to pick out any one thing in particular, but I, I, for some reason, uh, thinking about Robert Picardo, the first time, uh, he came, uh, to, uh, Shirley, as I can recall, might have been when Voyager was still running, and, um he was helping to judge a, um, our masquerade, not, yeah, the, the uh, masquerade, that's uh, the name we use for our huge costume contest on Saturday night, and, um, and everything and he was up there and I think some women went up and they wanted to give him a big kiss and everything and he was acting like you know, like Robert Ricardo with his sense of humor and he took off his coat and he was like limbering up and everything, you know, like uh, girl's gonna give me a workout, you know. And he's stretching his neck left and right, and go, I gotta get ready for this, you know? And we're just rolling and everything out there in the audience and things like that. Um, among my more, uh, special memories, I don't know if you'd call it funny or not, but, um, say there have been so many years and so many guests and everything, but last year in particular, it was a tremendous joy and we couldn't understand how special it was at the time, was last year we had a special Skype appearance by Leonard Nimoy.
0: Wow, yeah, I remember that, um, because it was all over the, um, it was all over the internet, it pretty much went viral.
1: And he was on the, um... It was like early in the afternoon, it was on Sunday. We usually have guests all weekend. This is a special arrangement. We don't usually do Skype appearances, but considering his age and his COPD and everything, the man couldn't travel anymore. Of course, we couldn't know at the time just how bad it was. Sadly, we just lost him recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at that time, you know, I, I was just so grateful to, to be in that room. And even though it was uh, just a Skype appearance, there were some slight technical problems at the beginning. I don't think he could really see us, but he could hear us. And we could see him. And he was he was so kind and so open. I'd never seen him so relaxed even sang for us. He sang Maiden Wine from that episode, uh, Plato's Stepchildren, I think it was, uh, with his one of his grandchildren. Um, it was just an absolute joy. And, um, and the fact that he had just passed away recently make, make, makes the fact that I was there to see it all the more special. And the year before that, we had a one-day appearance by William Shatner which I still, to this day, don't know how we managed to do that on our budget. Uh, <laughs> but somehow our team managed to pull it off. It was a very quick appearance, one afternoon in and out. He was back on a plane, but, but he made that appearance, and that was something I'd waited a long, long time to take part in. And That same weekend, we had Brent Spiner, who, like Robert Picardo, is extremely quick-witted and just very entertaining. Some guests are, how do I say it politely? They're a little dry or they're a little timid on stage. It's hard to get them to talk in some cases, you know? But generally, some of them, the ones who really know how to relate to an audience or tell a funny story or just be open and honest uh, with the people out in the audience, it's, it's a very special thing because television actors generally are looked upon In different ways than, than movie actors are. Somehow they just seem more approachable. And folks like that that you see in your living room or whatever room you happen to be watching these shows in, you know, you can feel more of a personal connection to them. And harkening back to what I said just a little bit ago about, you know, that, that human connection and everything. And the fact that it's a fairly modest size hotel with a limited number of attendees able to get into the hotel and everything. You know, it makes it more of a, almost like a cocooning thing, in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so those are some things, just in recent years, that have really stood out to me.
0: Yeah, this I, I've actually, um, I, I agree with what you say there. You do get some actors that are not particularly good at relating to to the audience when they're on stage. Um, and and I've right. seen that a couple of times firsthand. But when you do get them that are good, that's good at, rea- at relating, oh boy, isn't it good? I mean... Right. Um,
1: some folks just make an audience just go totally nuts, and it's an absolute ball, and you hope it'll never end, and you want it to go on and on. And other folks, boy, ten minutes is enough. Mm-hmm. If I had enough of this guy. He thinks he's he or she's better than anybody else, or they can't think of anything to say, or somebody get him to say something, you know. So you hear about things like that. We always try to, um, and again, major um, points to our guest relations department. We always try very hard. We surely, because of our budget, may not be able to get the biggest guests all the time. But we always try to get people who are well-known, you know, for their openness in the fandom community. For example, we don't believe in signing anybody who won't sign autographs, for example. You know, we want people who are out there with the fans. We want people who are, are willing to, you know, do an interview on the radio or, or someone who is willing to help judge a costume contest, you know. So, yeah, do do we get the biggest names? Not necessarily, but we, we do try to get the nicest ones. Mm-hmm.
0: That's,
1: you know, that's just something that we try to do year to year.
0: There's also that thing that the biggest names are not always necessarily the best names to get. I mean, you can get some jobbing actors, you know, maybe someone that maybe... Has had guest appearances in numerous shows over the years. You can get those guys on stage, and those guys can put on a really good show. Um, and that's certainly something that I found in my experiences.
1: Definitely, definitely. We always try to, like, say, make ourselves different, and every, every guest is different, and you never know what you're going to get the first time you see someone. But other ones who come back, like, we try not to have the same guest like every other year or whatever, but certain ones have definitely come back to us down through the years. and They become like old friends in a way. It it adds to the continuity of the convention. There there are people that you see, either guest stars or, you know, writers, scientists, artists, or just fellow fans from across the country, or sometimes even other countries, um, that you don't see at other times. And this is your opportunity to connect with them again, you (laughs) see. And this is all all part of the, the experience and what builds up that, um, you know, that positive well of emotion you have for gatherings like this over a period of years. So even though lives change and careers change and things like that, and people move, and there's always changes in lives, but, you know, these events go on, and it's like a form of continuity in your life that you look forward to all the time. It's not just nostalgia, though that is a big part of it. It's also getting caught up with people and... You know, just, you know, taking advantage of the uh, the fun aspect of it year to year. So that's why I tell a lot of folks who have been on the fence about going to conventions down through the years. I say, you know, if you like science fiction or fantasy at all, just give it a try. Come one day. I almost can guarantee it. You're going to find something that you're going to like. You know,
0: mm-hmm. so there you yeah. go. Um, I, I actually wrote my mum into one going going to one with me one year before she died, and she loved it. <laughs> and she's you know, my mum was really sort of like laid back about stuff like that. But well, I managed to get her to come along to one one year with me, and she she had a ball. She got a free autograph of her off of the Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, because he was testing his pen, and he just gave her the the free autograph on the program that he was that he was signing to test the pen. Um, and he actually sang to her as well, so <laughs> so that that was a that was fun. Um, you've got you know I'm looking at the um, looking at the sort of like website right now in fact, and it looks like you've got some cracking guests lined up this year, um, which um, you know it surprises me you've even got a budget for this because you've got John Barryman.
1: Yes, that's what you might consider our number one guest this year, and believe me, the the buzz and the local fandom community has been huge for this man. Um, But yes, John Berriman is uh, quite the feather in our cap, one might say. Um, I mean, a lot of people are really looking forward to seeing him and he's scheduled to be there Saturday and Sunday and perhaps a good part of Friday too. Last couple of years, we've had folks like you know Leonard Moy's Skype appearance, and William Shatner did that one day thing two you know two years ago, but he's supposed to be here all weekend. So there won't be that mad rush all in one afternoon to try to do everything, you know. But yeah, people are, are definitely excited about our, our show. It's a rather eclectic, wide ranging uh, list of guests that we have this year. But definitely the one with the the most buzz is is John Barrowman. I got it. Um, Of course, he's known for Arrow, Torchwood, but especially. For being in Doctor Who That's what You know, they, you know Folks are mainly Talking about mm-hmm. Um Shall I go into Very very briefly The other guests We have signed so far
0: Or Yeah you can if you want I was just gonna I was just gonna So, I could Add in here I was gonna say It's just I'm just kicking myself Because I don't live In Maryland Or, or nearby <laughs> Because I'd definitely Be down for the convention If I If I lived close by Okay
1: Uh Among the other guests That we have Um this year, okay. Recently added were three of uh, cast members of the very popular sci fi uh, series Defiance, okay, from the Sci Fi Channel, these days spelled S Y F Y. I still don't know why they made that yeah. change. Anyway, uh, the actors from that show include uh, Jamie Murray, Tony Curran, and Jesse Rath. Cool. Uh, each of these actors has, has made several appearances in many genre shows in recent years like uh, Ms. Murray has been in Warehouse 13 and Dexter. Spockus. has been in Doctor Who. He's been in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, Jesse Rath has been in Being Human. That's a very popular show over here, too. Um, 18 to Life, um, Aaron Stone. But mainly, the one thing you all have in common is Defiance. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of all the Defiance fans are going to come out. Uh, we recently added David Nickel, who's appeared in Stargate at He's also been in Arrow... Uh, Daniel Davis, who I saw him many, many years ago and he was known as uh Danny Davis, I believe. And uh he's mainly known for, for two primary roles two primary roles over here in the United States. He was Moriarty in several episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation oh. back in the nineteen nineties. And for those who prefer a more down to earth type of show, uh he was the Butler Niles in the nanny for many years. Uh, that's what he's mainly known for in this uh, this country over here. Um, you know, very kind, very experienced actor. And uh, we're very, very glad to have him back after many, many years. Uh, we also have Aaron Ashmore, a very popular young actor. Uh, he's been in Warehouse 13, Smallville, Lost Girl, Killjoy. And just in the last week or so as we're, um, we're doing this, We've added another uh, young actress, the name of, and I hope I don't mispronounce his name, uh, Rika Sharma. Uh, She's uh, been in The 100 and the recent uh, reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Had Mm -hmm. several um, genre appearances in recent years. She was also in V. Right, that's Mm -hmm. right. I totally forgot about that. You're absolutely right. So she's one of those actresses where isn't just known for, for one thing. Most of these actors have been in a great many genre appearances so that'll give our, our fans out there an ample opportunity to ask them all kinds of questions on a wide variety of subjects this of course there's no time for it but uh, surely it gets a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy writers seems that we get more and more every year sometimes we you know I think that we get more writers coming to this convention than there are paying attendees sometimes <laughs> because every time we add a few more they tell their writer friends to come join us so there are more writers every year and of course we have uh scientists from organizations like the hubble space telescope and the uh, goddard institute which is very very close to here okay and they give talks on the latest in actual science discoveries part of our science programming track and everything so that's, you know, we have all these other, you know, guests as well. But those are our main, um, what I've called buzz the title, actor guests that are joining us this year. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, it's a very interesting cross-section, um, you know, quite eclectic, you know, folks who have been in, made several appearances in several different, fairly recent uh, genre shows, which should, you know, draw interest from all kinds of fandom quarters.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I if I was able to get to the event, I'd definitely be interested in you know meeting Jamie Murray um, because I I am a fan of hers from way back when she was in Hustle here in the UK, which was basically her her acting break. I think it, I think it was Hustle that kind of got her a little bit of recognition in the states, and because she left Hustle, and then she went on to do Warehouse 13. She did Spartacus Gods of the Arena. Um, and and all, all sorts of things, so, you know. I'm- right,
1: of course, in looking at the flyer, you see them in their makeup, their defiance makeup. You say, hmm, I wonder what they look like underneath that, you know, because <laughs> they're all wearing their their white defiance makeup on these photos and everything for the convention. But, but yeah, we've got quite an interesting guest list, and although I do, um, do have to uh, go momentarily, I wanted to, before I forget, thank you very warmly for... Um, for inviting me onto your program. What a, a pleasure it's been. And like I've said before, for anyone out there who has, uh, hasn't been to a, uh, fan run convention before or hasn't gone in many years, you know, please don't, uh, you know, you know, please give us a chance, you know, might want to give us a, a try, you know, at least for one day and see what it's like. I can almost guarantee you'll find something you'll really enjoy. I strongly suggest that folks out there check out our official website which is www.shoreleave.com, S-H-O-R-E dash L-E-A-V-E dot com. Yes, named after the uh, after the classic Star Trek episode with the white rabbit and everything, and, you know, from the first season of original Star Trek with the, the little sash in the middle, and that gives you all the information as it comes up, especially, you know, as the convention gets... There'll be new postings put on there every day about when the schedule goes up and, you know, the different events that are going on. So that's how to best keep up with with what's happening.
0: So what dates is it held over? Is it it August, July?
1: Uh, uh, It would be nice if I told exactly when it was, right? That's a a minor point, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) uh, Let's see here. I believe it is August 7th, 8th, and 9th. Okay. Uh, let me double-check that here on the old calendar. Yes, August 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Hunt Valley Inn. It used to be Marriott, but now it's Wyndham, owns it, okay? Um, on Shawan Road, just north of Baltimore, Maryland, okay? And all the uh, contact information and, you know, uh, directions and everything is right there on the uh, convention's website. So, yes, August 7th, 8th, and 9th at the, uh, the Hunt Valley Inn. And we do certainly hope to be seeing a lot of you uh, out there. Hope that you will join us. Okay. And if you see me out there, I'll be the one wearing a committee badge with a very happy but very exhausted look on my face. So be sure to
0: grab me and say hello okay well Mike thanks a so lot for joining us on the show it's been great having you and it's been been lovely to talk about conventions and share some experiences with you well it's
1: uh, been a lot of fun I've enjoyed it very much and have yourself a really good day thank you for having me on the show <laughs>
0: Hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, now we have um, the interview with a uh, sleepy from Once Upon a Time, um, better known as Faustino de Bauda. So um, hope you enjoy it, and i would like to welcome... Faustino Di Baudo to the show. He plays uh, Sleepy and Walter in uh, the hit ABC series Once Upon a Time. Hey, Faustino, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well, Ian. How about yourself?
0: I'm good. I, I hope I hope got the enunciation of your name right.
2: Um, Faustino Di Bauda.
0: Di Bauda. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think I said Di Baudo or something
2: yeah something like that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It's funny though you say that because uh when I went back to italy and uh, and kind of did a little uh, just to reconnect with family uh, when I was a younger man, uh, I was told that my dad, when he came to Canada, actually spelt it wrong. It was debaudo and because my my actual my uncle, his last name is Baudo. Where my dad, his last name is Di Bauda.
0: Cool. Yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> I kind of like these Italian names. they kind of they're a little bit tricky to enunciate first time out, but when you get used to them, they kind of roll off the tongue. Yep. Um, yep. So sure. you know you might don't mind me asking, what part of Italy are you from?
2: Uh, I was born in Torino, uh, which is in the north. Uh, it's between, I, I guess, if you want to look at geographical, between Milan and Genoa in that path.
0: All right. So and um so, in the so north. go ahead. So so it's um, a ni- nice bit of bit part of the country then.
2: Oh yeah, but all Italy is quite beautiful. Uh it's it's quite nice all the way through actually. I've uh I've had a chance to pretty much see even uh my dad is from the island of Sicily and uh Sicily is gorgeous, beautiful. Sardinia's great also. I mean there's just so much that's uh it's it's quite a picturesque country.
0: Mm-hmm. Um so um I've got, you know, we've got got a few questions for you about uh, about your acting and Once Upon a Time. And I think the first one I've got to ask you is um, because um, you, you told you told me this story last week, but it's quite an interesting one. Um, is how, how did you actually get into acting? Because it's so like it's 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 something you know. Some people kind of uh, discover it late in life, and then there's those that are actually kind of born into the theatre.
2: Right. Oh, I wasn't one of those born into it. I, uh, for the most part of my life, uh, was a pretty shy kid, um, grew up uh, in Canada, getting picked on a little bit, so uh, obviously picked on because I didn't speak the language and just was different in a lot of ways. Um, and i just was involved i got involved with sports mostly wrestling um uh, what i which i excelled at and eventually i became an international referee for wrestling so that was my thing and i was also a person that worked with my hands I, and i worked at one point in time at the city hall here in uh, in coquitlam which is just a suburb of vancouver um, as a planning executive, and also uh, um, also as a uh, working in the permits department, doing uh, inspections and whatnot, building inspections, and and eventually I uh, started doing what my dad did, which was stonemasonry, and I did that for a long time. And then when I was sometime in my 30s, uh, I got into a series of automobile accidents. Uh, one on a Saturday, then I got hit again on a Sunday. Uh, like 26 hours apart. And then later on, I got into another one later on that year. And so in the process of uh, these accidents, I had to find a way to heal myself, uh, take care of my body. And through um, massage, my massage therapist recommended to me at the time uh, to do yoga or Pilates or something like that to help uh, take care of it, because it's a lot for her to take care of as far as just in the massage end of it. Uh, So I took that under consideration and I started to do uh, yoga and I loved it. And in the process of doing that, I, um, I ended up, uh, I met up with this Swami who was traveling to Vancouver Mm -hmm. and he uh, was, he was doing kind of a workshop where doing like chakra clearing and this uh meditation technique called Yoga Nidra, which is deep relaxation, and I really got a, a good uh feeling from it. And anyways, this is just after nine eleven, so uh, he was not able to fly out of Vancouver because the airplane ticket which he had, uh, the the person issuing the ticket uh, spelt his name wrong. Instead of a, his name was uh, with was spelt with an uh, an O at the end, but instead it was it was it was spelt with an A at the end. So they got it kind of wrong, <laughs> so he couldn't fly out of Vancouver. And in any ways, in that time frame, I had the opportunity to spend some time with him. And he told me to, he says he'd like for me to go to this yoga retreat that he's putting on in India. So um, lo and behold, um, I eventually get myself to go to India and go to this yoga retreat. And while I'm there, one day I'm joking around with the swamis. And one of the swamis says to me, "Um, are you an actor? You're you're, you're funny. And I said, "Uh, no, I'm not an actor. I "Uh," I says, well, you should become an actor. And I said, yeah, I don't know. I says, I'm kind of shy. I says, I don't know if that's a good idea, right? He says, well, you don't seem to be shy now. Mm-hmm. So I thought about that and it, was, it seemed to be correct. And uh, I went back a year later, meditated on it some more. And in the end, I took that under consideration, met somebody in Vancouver who was an actress, told me about a school. I applied to school, uh, started taking classes and Within a period of uh, approximately, I guess, from the time that I took classes, my very first class, to the time I actually uh, worked my first day on Once Upon a Time, which was my very first uh, TV show I was on, uh, that period was approximately eight years.
0: Wow. Um, what would you say has actually been, you know, obviously a highlight for you is going to be Once Upon a Time. Um, but um, what would you say is is that like the only high point you've had so far?
2: Oh, there's been a lot of little high points. <laughs> it's funny because I mean that, that was actually my very first um, TV and film audition was Once Upon a Time. Uh, I, before that, I, I did a lot of student films, but never went out for any auditions, uh, for TV and film on the professional land of it, where I was getting paid for the work. And, uh, and prior to that, I, I had an agent for a couple of years and all I was going out for was, was commercial auditions, which I didn't book. And, um, uh, I guess they just never really got me. I mean, I'm a little bit of a different look. I'm not a pretty boy. So it's kind of Uh, I'm not, I guess, a very commercially viable look that uh, works well with uh, commercials. So, anyways, uh, the the what ended up happening after that, that was my very first. Uh, From that, about a year later, I ended up going out for my very first uh, feature film audition, and I went out reading for the uh, the priest. And uh, in the end, while I was in the room there after I read for the priest, she says. can you try this innkeeper uh roles and, and she just gave me the lines right there on the spot so it was a cold read and I, I looked at it a few times and i says yeah let's do this and so i did it and i got that as my very first uh um, feature film audition which was seventh son wow uh, just theaters then uh recently and then uh after that pretty much every show that i went out and auditioned for um in this case of uh, the killing I, I went out three times for different roles um but they kind of had me under their radar because they kept calling me in and then eventually i got the role of uh, uh actor role of a uh, was it again i was a uh, I was a morgue clerk uh, for the, the TV series, which is now a Netflix original. They call it, um, uh, which was The Killing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, also, what else? Oh, then then there was um, uh, Supernatural, mm-hmm. and that was my probably my second audition with Supernatural, uh, and I and I ended up getting uh, the, the role of uh, Jumper. I ended up. Uh, it's quite a funny scene, actually. I End up jumping off a building, and uh, it's kind of like a Bugs Bunny uh, uh, scene where you know the uh, Roadrunner gets kind of caught out in the midair, and then realizes that the, the ground has kind of left them underneath them, and uh, that one. And then, uh, I, and then after that, I was on uh, Fringe, mm-hmm. and and that was that. And then now I've, I've just so it's it's just a lot of little highlights, but I'd have to say that really. Um, Once upon a time is
0: the biggest one for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's um it's it's a it's a it's a a fab, show. I mean I've actually um I've actually recently because I was speaking to you last week I've actually recently started watching again on Netflix because it's only just come come back here in 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 the last couple of months um, on on Netflix and um, I've been watching it again and, and I think I'm probably up to episode six because I've started watching the first season again actually getting into it. <laughs> Um, again, um, for for those that haven't seen the show yet, um, you you played a character as Sleepy, um, yes, and, and, and Sleeper, Walter,
2: Sleepy and Walter actually,
0: and, Two and characters. And ha, now, what what I want to know is um, how how does your version of Sleepy differ from the from 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 the um, interpretation that we're we're all used to seeing in in Disney? Uh, well, I
2: mean, the difference with Disney and and uh, and with uh, Once Upon a Time. The biggest difference is that one is a cartoon and the other one is, is real people, uh, apparently. So <laughs> the, the biggest difference I've, I've noticed is that it's not as, not as comical. Uh, it, Disney was, was written in a time when uh, you know, you're dealing with, with the kids as being the audience, the main focus. Um, in this case here, um, it's we're, we're reaching out to a broader audience. Uh, I just finished coming from a convention, and when I say broader audience, we have fan base that goes all the way down from the, uh, you know, um, eight, nine, ten year olds, <laughs> um, and all the way up to as as high as like uh, people in their fifties and sixties. And I've, I've even heard uh, some people say that their grandmothers and grandfathers watch the show. So. Mm-hmm. It's, it hits a broad audience. Um, so in, in doing so, and knowing, too, that uh, I remember going, when I went to the audition, in fact, uh, <laughs> it's funny you should say that because uh, I went in there kind of taking that approach, thinking it was more in line of Disney. And when I uh, went to the audition, the uh, the casting director pulled me aside before going in and said, um, if you prepare this like Disney um, – We've had a lot of that um, all day long, and we would like if you could uh, uh, not do that. And we'll do, just to let you a little FYI, the the, the writers of this uh, pilot are were were uh, on the writing team. One of the writing teams for um, the hit TV series Lost, which was one of my favorite TV series that I was watching during the time. So. I kind of understood what they wanted in that respect, and uh, so there's a, it's a subtleness, I guess, uh, where you're dealing with real life people. So it's just very a matter of fact versus comical, I guess. And if comical comes out, then great.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in in the show, you kind of play. You, you've said this already. You kind of playing two roles. You're playing. You're playing Walter um, in in the town of Storybrook, Who's um, he? He works security with uh, with Leroy. Um, I That's think, correct. and 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 in the um, in the fantasy world, um, you, you you play sleepy. Um, has it been a challenge to sort of like play those two different roles because it the the you know the both like they're both pretty much the same, but there's the, the, differences, I guess. Well,
2: yeah, it, there's a difference, obviously, just a little subtle difference. Uh... The, the whole premise of why we're in storybrook is the fact there's a curse so in in that whole process of going into from uh, uh, fairy tale you know uh, our, our, the uh, from going to the the, the the forest that we're in and moving towards this little small town of storybrook it's the whole process of going to real life as being the curse so um, all I've done in, in as far as kind of looked at as far as why, what could possibly be a curse with, uh, with going to Storybrooke. And again, I'm still sleepy and, uh, but it's what would be the curse version of sleepy? Well, a person that has, uh, I think it's called narcolepsy where people just fall asleep, mm-hmm. um, on a dime, <laughs> you know, um, so, uh, I guess that would be my, the way Walter is more. So he just sort of be there and then he falls asleep just like that. And then he's back on, right. You know, and, and it's just very quick. And, and that's, if you, if you look at, uh, I did some research on, on narcolepsy and that's how it, in fact, how it happens. They'll be talking a moment and then, and then they're asleep. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. And then as far as um, when I'm uh, in, in, in storybook uh, version, um then it's just sleepy traditional sleepy um as a dwarf Mm
0: -hmm. um once upon a time it's been it's been a great show it's been running for what four years now what what would you say have been your um favorite your your, the favorite storylines that you've been involved with on on the show so far
2: it all started back in the pilot. Uh, we've had some uh, some great little storylines we've been working part of uh, in the pilot. Uh, my, my, in fact, my very first day on set, I, I had an opportunity to work with uh, Lee Ehrenberg, and we did the scene there where the uh, the curse... Uh, just came in um, and we were, uh, I guess, uh, I, I was falling asleep on guard and, and, and uh, he uh, he just says, uh, Sleepy, wake up. And then we, uh, we get into the scene at that point and the curse comes in. Um, and the wedding scene, the whole thing was good. There's been some really good storylines all throughout. Um, Stuff that I've worked on recently is in uh, season four, uh, episode one, where um, I guess uh, Grumpy was not uh, able to drive his van home that night, so I ended up becoming his uh, designated driver. And uh, in the process of doing so, I fall asleep at the wheel and we get into a small crash and uh, nobody's hurt, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun uh, playing that out and, and doing that. So that was quite fun. And yeah, um, a lot of stuff. I guess it's always my, my character is sleepy. So it's always stuff that happens when I fall asleep. And and the trouble I get into when I when I when I when I
0: wake up, I guess, right, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, I can just imagine, you know, that episode, that that story I am playing out, where where sleepy son, like, just dozes off in front of the wheel or something. I can imagine the audience response to that. Yeah, it was, it was
2: actually we. I mean, yeah. We viewed it uh, at the uh, I guess the, the season opening party we have uh, we always have one a meet every year before when we, when we air our first episode and, uh, and it was at the studio and uh, uh, it was it was played out and uh, I, I you know just, just sort of hearing the response and everybody had a little chuckle with it and, and so it, it was it felt good uh, to have that uh, that little bit of uh, an opportunity to make people laugh I guess
0: mm-hmm um do, do you have any uh any fun stories you could say you, you could sorry share from your time on the show because it seems to me like you know i get the impression that there's a great camaraderie amongst the cast and i should imagine there's probably been quite a few few funny things that have happened on the set right
2: yes there has been it's been it's been wonderful i mean we've had wow um I remember the very first thing that, that, uh, that I remember was uh, when we were shooting the wedding scene. Um, two birds, uh, I think they were, um, what do you call it, pigeons or, or something like that. I'm, I'm not certain. I'm just going to say pigeons because I never had an opportunity to see them up close, right? Mm-hmm. But they got on the actual uh, set into the actual studio where we were shooting this in, in the green room and everything. And it was kind of, uh, I thought it was kind of uh, auspicious when they came in. Right. I thought, interesting. They're they're showing up at uh, Snow White's wedding. And, you know, Snow White is uh, supposed to be pretty uh, connected with the animals and uh, everything. The energy's there for her. And uh, and then again, uh, one time we're on set again. And uh, we're not this one. We're actually on location by a by a, a creek a river. And uh, we're, we're doing a scene. I think this is back in season three now last year. And um, we were doing a scene with uh, Snow White, Prince Charming, and all the dwarfs, uh, uh, kind of like in a makeshift tent while we're on this river, uh, in in the old. Um, uh, storybook uh, setting mm-hmm. and out out of nowhere comes this deer and starts walking toward us while the scene's going, while we're shooting it and everything. And, and as, we, as we just, you know, we kept going and uh, I mean, we, we saw it sort of, we can see that it's there. And we're just concentrated on our scene and everything, but it gets to a point where it's now walking by us and literally um <laughs> Um, Ginny had her back uh, towards from the deer looking at us, but she could catch it on her peripheral and by the time uh it was, it just walked by her and it was maybe, I don't know, maybe like a meter away. It just kept doing its thing and it was very natural, not disturbed. Um, so it's it quite neat to see all that happening. Um, and the, again, the, the thing I've, I've, I've said many times over, but I, I will say it again. It's the, 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 when we shot our final scene on, on the pilot episode where we um, it was the scene, the casket scene where, uh, Snow White had just uh, eaten the apple and she's dead now. And uh, and now Prince Charming comes in to save her with uh true love's kiss. And um, that particular day was uh, April the 2nd. So it was already considered to be spring. Mm-hmm. And that day it snowed, of all <laughs> things. And uh, so it's snowing on Snow White's uh, death, which is very symbolic in a lot of ways, I think. And how that happened, I have no idea. But but the uh, the nature gods have been shining upon us from day one, so it's been uh, it's been quite wonderful. Like, I, there's this, the other stories are just the the fun stuff. Uh, you know, um, Lee Arenberg uh, uh, getting into his uh, his um, <laughs> his acting coach teacher routine uh, where he you know gets in there and he, he gets kind of into a little bit of a, a QA with joth was josh dallas and uh, it's he has us rolling all the time just laughing so it's uh it's a lot of fun and yeah it's been one after another mm,
0: sounds like a fun set to work on
2: it is it is mm-hmm. it really is yeah
0: <clears throat> In in, you on, in 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 the interview uh, you mentioned um you know some of the other other roles that you that you've got to play briefly and you t- you touched on fringe. Um what what was it like for you to work on fringe? Because I, I, I believe you played played quite quite a few scenes with um with 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 the um with, with Walt is it Walter in in in, in the um, in the show made um, by?
2: Yeah, oh, Walter, that's right. Yeah, Walter uh, Bishop, I believe. Yeah, yeah. His character.
0: I'm trying to think of the yeah, actor's no. name.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's. It, uh, I love Fringe. I think it's a great, uh, great show as mm-hmm. well. It's, it really goes up and touches up on. So many possibilities of what can happen and, and just uh, with the unknown, right? So, it, mm-hmm. it, And they do it quite well where they, uh, they kind of support it with, with semi-scientific data, which is kind of cool. Uh, so That's what I love about that particular show. And the character that Walter plays on there is amazing, so it's uh, great. I, I had the opportunity to work with him one scene. Um, he, it was the Black Blotter, I believe, episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this is in season five, the final season, and, um, <clears throat> he's, uh, now traveling into New York and, uh, he gets into my van or not my van, my, my, sorry, my cab. <laughs> and, uh, is, all I can say is, uh, John Noble. That's the one. Yeah. Wonderful, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful human being, um, uh, It was raining buckets that day, Uh, traditional Vancouver weather, but even more so. It was just to the point where it was like, oi, 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 it's just everything was leaking. It didn't matter how much you tarped up or whatever, there was water falling everywhere. Um, So it was one of those days. Um, and what a pleasant individual he! He sat there. Uh, we did uh, the scene uh, with the camera going in his direction, and he had a, a, a few pages of dialogue to chew off there. So it was quite, uh, quite an extensive scene. And um, again, he, uh, you know, he goes through that whole day, and it's wet, and it's miserable out, and everything. And then it's finally my turn to do my uh, my close ups and uh, John stuck around and he didn't have to. I've seen before where um, certain actors will just sort of, you know, just have someone else read it for you because it's not really on their direction anymore. It's uh, the camera's pretty much on you. Right. So mm-hmm. there's really no need for them to be around uh, in those circumstances he did. He stuck it out. He stayed around. At the very end, you know, uh, he uh, came up and, and thanked me, and, and I just was taken back. The man is just a wonderful human being. That's all I can say. Uh, so it was a great experience mm-hmm. working with, with John Noble on
0: set. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually uh, lucky enough a couple of years ago to uh, to, to be able to uh, do a conference call um, with with him. Um, in, and it was in regards to you know, the new show he was doing, Sleepy Hollow. And you know, I asked him a question, and he was really, he was really good. You know, he, he, he got to a point where he, he actually answered the question, but he asked me a question in return. So there was a little bit of a dialogue going, and he just came mm-hmm. came across as a real nice guy. You know, you know, so I could.
2: He is one of those special human beings that's on this planet, and uh, I think anybody that has an opportunity to um, to have him uh, cross paths with you, it's just a beautiful thing. The, the man's wonderful; he really is. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What would, you, what would you say? I mean, you've you've done quite a lot so far. You've done done a lot of character work, and obviously, sleep is quite a big role on um, on on a, on a series. Uh, but what would you say would be your dream role to play in either television or film? Is there Is there a dream role you know that that you'd like to have a go at? Yeah, you
2: know, um, as a kid growing up. And for a long time, uh, this show has always been a show I've liked. Uh, has been um, uh, Columbo. I don't know if you do you know the show?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, Peter Falk.
2: Peter Falk, exactly. Yeah, uh, amazing, another amazing character, a human being i never had an opportunity to meet him, but uh, I do know that uh, the September 16th, which is my birthday, also is his birthday, so it's, it's a bit of a coincidence, I guess, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to, if there was ever to be a remake of Columbo, I would love to be a part of something like that. Cool.
0: I mean, you know, Columbo is such a great show as well. I mean, it's like 70s, took a break, came back in the 90s, and it was like it had never gone. Because it exactly. just sort of, like, it just, you know, it just sort of, like, fitted into whatever decade it came out. So, you know. Exactly.
2: I, no, I, it, I, I, it really was. I think what I love about him is just how his, his way of sort of uh, getting people to talk, you know, and, and, and people always slip up. And he's it's just sort of this guy who, you know, comes across like he doesn't know much. But, boy, does he ever know so much, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: just one more thing. Just one more thing. Exactly. <laughs> as is needed oh, okay. just one more thing <laughs> oh, I know. I
2: know. It's just hilarious i love it
0: I love it yeah and so you know and, and if you look at Columbo, the the the, the breadth of the uh, of 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 guest actors that they've had on had on that that series over the years i mean you know it's absolutely amazing yeah you i know,
2: agree
0: they don't agree. make shows like that now unfortunately no. And uh, finally, um, this is a final question I've got for you. I think you're probably going to like this one. Um, If you could actually meet anyone living or dead and um, have a a conversation with them, uh, who would it be and what sort of things would you like to discuss?
2: Mm, um, For me, a person that's still to this day is, I mean, uh, you, you, as a young kid, you start sort of uh, coming across certain individuals, people, that uh, shape who you are as as a human, Um, and just everything about, I guess in my case, about me, certain things. Um, One person comes to mind is is Gandhi. Um, Wow, I mean, just here you got a guy, he's in a country where um, it's India, and being oppressed by, uh, I guess it was the the British tea company. I'm not not certain exactly what the actual corporation was that was uh, owning India at the time, but um just that whole idea of nonviolence and still getting what they wanted in the end um it was uh it was beautiful uh, i guess the question would be like how did you do it how did you get to that stage of getting everybody on board because that's that's a tough one you know mm-hmm. the the there's so many individual energies that come across and and we know that in the end that it's a non-violent approach, we'll always always win. But how do you do it? Mm How do you get it across? And how do you get everyone to uh, to get on board for it? So I I don't know. Gandhi has been one of those guys. Um, Martin Luther King has been one of those guys for me.
0: Um, John F. Kennedy, maybe?
2: Yeah, a little bit, sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. all these people that sort of stood out a little bit and went against the grain um, because they knew it was right. Mm -hmm. They knew it was just. Um, yeah
0: we could do with more people like that unfortunately we don't you know the people that are actually in leadership roles are are sort of like the complete opposite of that
2: right well i think what ends up happening now so more so than ever is that um they're just showing that these 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 uh, figureheads get killed off and they did they all got killed and What ends up happening now with the new generation is that if it tells you, the message is, um, if you decide to speak up like that, you will get killed. You will get shot or whatever way of, of ending your life will be, it will be done that way. So in this case, all three were actually shot. So um, that's the message that's being sent out to the general public uh, today. So people, they know these stories and they go, wow, they're great stories, but do I want to go down that road uh, and possibly risk my life or my family's life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and, um, the thing is with with Gandhi, getting that many people to actually follow him and and, uh, pursue the same practices that he did of of non-resistance, you're right it is an amazing thing because the first the first human thing that a person will do when when in the face of um of something that they feel oppressed by the first the first natural instinct for us is to react to that so to to, to actually you know stop oneself from reacting to that you know that's pretty amazing yeah
2: well i mean it's 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 known that we we're reactionary creatures, um, you know. With every uh, action comes a uh, opposite, opposing reaction, right? But what happens if we don't react? And well, what that would be—that's the big one I want to kind of explore. What happens if we, in fact, we don't react to it? Then mm-hmm. is it no longer seen as a, uh, as a threat or an entity of any sort? Because in order for some, um, in order for us to see something as, uh, okay, let's just use the word threat or or, or or notice something for what it is. We have to acknowledge it, and then by acknowledging it, we have to think about it. We have to see what's going on, and then we either uh, speak of it, voice it, um, or react in a certain way. Whether it be uh, if we like it, we, we come towards it. If we don't like it, we go away from it. Um, but if you don't do anything, what happens? That's mm-hmm. that's the big question I've got with myself right now, and. Uh, And I think what it boils down to in the end is what I'm coming across is that if we don't react and we don't acknowledge it and if we don't acknowledge it interesting mm-hmm. that's all i can say i mean we are, we are creating our own reality then if that's the case
0: yeah and it's also it's a little bit like you 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 have the naughty child you ignore the naughty child and the child's being naughty because he's you know because he or she is uh, trying to get attention whereas if, if you ignore it you're not you're not giving into them you're not giving them what they want
2: exactly yeah, yeah. it's funny i remember when i was in india there was a. Uh, this couple I came across and they had this little kid and the cutest kid, but boy, a little brat, you know, and just running around and doing all the various stuff. And I just watched these parents and they were they were loving parents and, and everything. And, and it was getting to the point where some people were getting uh, at this ashram were getting a little bit ticked off by this kid. <laughs> and, and I just I, I, I was laughing because I just thought he was so endearing, you know, and uh, the mom and dad, I just I was wondering how how do they do it? How do they you know stay in there and what they were, their 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 approach to this child and raising this child? And I haven't seen this kid ever after that, but it made me think too, right? Was uh, they just didn't want to um, react or give that child anything? They wanted him to exhaust everything out because it's just stuff that's in the kid's head, right? Mm-hmm. And the more that you play out, um, kids are not stupid; they're extremely smart. <laughs> this is where the biggest. Uh, um, mistake made by most adults in there right and they're do, they want to do so much for their kids you know they're they're crying but did it ever come to you maybe that that crying that they're doing is just an act mm-hmm. maybe you know and that's the thing and i mean and then the, that's a tough one because you don't want to you know you see them their faces turning blue or red and just looking kind of and then they kind of get to that point of giving in so um I'm, not, I'm not, not here to tell anybody how to raise their kids. Far from it. I, I think everybody's got their own way. But I'm just, I think it's probably fair to say that it wouldn't be a bad idea to explore that. Um, you know, like I said, every action has a, a, a reaction of some sort, right? So we mm-hmm. give. We give way to um these actions and react to them all the time. What happens if we don't? What happens if we don't? That's all I'm
0: saying. Mm-hmm. Okay, well uh, Faustino, yeah. thanks thanks for being on the show. It's been great having you on. Um and best of luck with Once Upon a Time and, and any other projects that you that you have um having the work so do you, do you have any other projects in the works?
2: I have um, a feature film that I'm in uh, coming out I believe on Christmas Day at this point uh, it's called Monster Trucks uh, i kind of excited about that um, we just shot that last year um, and right now I guess we're just getting ready for season five of uh, Once Upon a Time so yeah I'm kind of excited about what's in front of me at this point
0: Okay, well, it's been great having you on the show, and, and, and thanks thanks for doing this. It's been really wonderful having the chance to get to know a little about you, and um, and, and, and your taking once upon a time.
2: Thanks, Ian. So, thank you so much. Uh, you've been a pleasure to talk to, you and uh, I, I enjoyed this time we've had together. Hi there, this is Robert Leeshock from Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict,
1: better known as Liam Kincaid, and you are listening to SFP Now. The fate of
0: humanity now relies on those who dare challenge the future of birth that about wraps things up for this week um, hope you enjoyed the show um, hope you enjoyed the interviews we've got some fantastic stuff coming up um, over the next uh, few weeks um, next week um, Matts will be back uh, with Genre Um so we're, we're going to take a week out and um, allow Matts to do his stuff uh, but in our forthcoming episodes we have uh, Tim Jones the uh, composer behind the uh, music for the hit NBC series Chuck which um, fans will remember from, from a few years back and we also have an interview coming up with um, julie Ann Emery, who is um, an actress that you'll recognise from, from many things, she's had many guest roles, um, but she had, a, she had a bit of a standout role recently in the uh, television spin-off series Better Call Saul, which is a spin-off from Breaking Bad. So you have that one to look forward to. Thanks as always for listening. Um, if you're new to the show and you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, just type in sci-fi. Pulse radio and um our little sign will come up with all our past shows and you know if you like what you hear hit subscribe that way you never have to miss an episode. Thanks all for listening. We'll be back next week with uh Marts and um, his show John Retainment and then um, sci-fi SFP now will be back the week after that. Bye for now